Welcome to Cue the Dagger, brought to you in partnership with Inside the Rink. Inside the Rink is your one-stop shop for all NHL news, insight, and analysis. You can follow them on Twitter at Inside underscore the underscore rink. I'll be your host, Clifton Ramey, and I'm with my co-host, Logan Rosengard. How you been doing, my man? I've been doing good. Uh, We're getting closer to one of my favorite times of the year, the trade deadline. The Blackhawks have still been playing, although not well, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it, it it was fun to see and watch the uh, the Nick Jalmerson uh, legacy night at the UC yeah, when they played Edmonton and Nick Jalmerson is one of my favorite Blackhawk defensemen of all time and he was one of my favorite oh, yeah. defensemen when I played I was, growing up. So just that really was such cool to an see emotional that. night, dude. Oh yeah, I, I love the Hammer, dude. Just absolutely love him. That was unbelievable emotional night. Um. We'll get into that in a second if you want to go ahead and jump in with a quick word from our sponsor here. Of course I would, Cliff. A quick word from our show sponsor and friends of Inside the Rink, BetUS. BetUS has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BetUS.com with promo code RINK for a 125% sign-up bonus. Again, use promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry. Bet US. You bet, you win. You get paid. BetUS.com. Well, you know what, Logan? It's a new era in Chicago. We've officially named Kyle Davidson as the GM. And you know what? To that, we'll go ahead and open up a nice ice cold <laughs> Miller Light. Cheers to Kyle Davidson getting the job in Chicago. Um, it was the more predictable option, I believe. I wanted Toluski. He was kind of eliminated early. Out of the last three names, uh, Davidson was probably the name that I wanted. It's not flashy. It's not bringing in a bunch of headlines. But overall, I'm okay with Kyle Davidson, and I'm excited to see what he did. I like Kyle Lafferty's trade, so his little baby trade and his interim role was good. Um, I'm excited to see what Kyle Davidson can bring to the franchise. I have a, I've got a lot of feelings about this hire. Um, I think Eric Tolsky was the right guy for the job. I think he was my personal pick. If I were to be the man uh, in charge of hiring the new GM for the team. Uh, and that's, I don't know. I'm while we, when we, when the team, uh, why am I blanking on the word when the team promoted Stan Bowman to uh, whatever it was a president of hockey operations. Hockey, yeah. yeah. Uh, last season, I was like, okay, this is fine. We don't want to change hands in the middle of a rebuild. Let the guy that started it finish it, and if it ends up bad, then we can can him and restart. That view shifted, and to me, hiring an internal hire is not a step in the right direction because you're still having someone that's been in the organization for a while and not that he is the same as Stan Bowman and not that he has the same outlook on how he wants the team to look, run and operate as Stan Bowman. But when you're in a front office with someone for as long as Kyle Davidson wants with Stan Bowman and you're still around, there's older soul, not that he's not an outside perspective, but it's not as outside of a perspective as Eric Tolsky could have brought. And Eric Tolsky with the Carolina Hurricanes, look at what they've done. He's been basically next to 
two of the two really smart general managers and Ron Francis and Tom Dundon and his perspective on how the, the team can look and run could very much uh, could have very much mimicked the way that the Carolina Hurricanes came back and resurged uh, in 2018, 2019. I don't know. I just think that there's positives to him being hired and I hope he does well. And I think he's very prepared and deserves the job. It's just not who I would have picked. I'm not happy. I think you definitely made a lot of really good points there for sure. Um, But really, I don't know if we could say that he's from Stan Bowman's kind of wing or whatever. I know he's worked there for a while, but all the inside reportings, whether it's Ben Pope, Charlie Romeliotis, um, Jay Zawoski, any of those kind of guys, they're all saying that he doesn't necessarily see it the same way that Bowman did. Um, Clearly, his actions are different. Um, The reports are that looking to move Borgstrom, which was a Bowman guy. He got rid of Nylander, another Bowman guy. He's using the word rebuild immediately, and he's not stirring away from it. He's saying it could take up to five years. Um, That's something Bowman was a little scared to say. Um, but no, I did want Tulski or Tolski, however you say his name, the most. Um, but when he when it just came down to it, Kyle Davidson's probably the right choice, I think. Uh, but yeah, so I really don't know really because you just kind of have the situation where the Hawks are at, and they have a lot of t- tough kind of decisions to be made with Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze and. If you bring in a guy from outside the organization, you kind of have to start fresh with their relationship. And that's kind of the biggest decisions that he's going to have to make is those two and where this franchise goes with 88 and 19. And do they stay with the team or not? And I think Kyle Davidson has some of an idea of what both of those players are seeing and what both those players are thinking their future looks like and I think that that gives him a slight advantage to at least the beginning part of this rebuild um he did make some immediately change immediate changes to uh the staff which I think was directly more in the scouting department area which is nice to see that he's changing stuff up um but yeah I just don't know if he's in the same mold as Stan Bowman I hope he's not I'm gonna go in with uh I guess rose-colored glasses I'm gonna give him the benefit of the doubt He's a new guy. I mean, at the end of the day, he's someone new, and we now know who, at least for the next season, uh, or multiple seasons to come, it looks like uh, he's going to be around for a while. Um, he's he's the man in charge. So that the Black, Blackhawks fans got what they wanted, Stan Bowman out and John McDonough out, and now it's, it's the Kyle Davidson show. Yep. Well, on the top of that, we'll go ahead and slide in. Since we've been here, the Blackhawks have played three games. We'll jump into the first one, which was obviously an unbelievable emotional night. We already kind of touched on it with the Jomerson stuff. But on top of that, you had Jonathan Taze return from his head injury. You had Tyler Johnson return from his neck surgery. You had Riley Stillman come in from, I believe, what was the shoulder. And Calvin DeHaan returned. On top of that, you had the legend himself, Duncan Keith, return to the United Center for the first time since being traded to Edmonton in the offseason. Um, as you could kind of tell there, it still was definitely an emotional night for me. Jalmerson uh, was my favorite defenseman. That wasn't like your big name. He wasn't that offensive guy. He played kind of my style. Gertie just loved blocking pucks. And then you have a legend like Duncan Keith coming back on the same night. It's just a, it was a lot to handle. You saw the opening face off, which you know, 
technically the home team's supposed to win, <laughs> but Duncan Keith just couldn't let Taze have it easy. A little battle between them with the hammer there, dropping the puck, dude. It was it was a lot. It was tough to handle emotionally, dude. That I it's kind of hard to believe. I grew up watching all of those guys play together, right? Like Nick Jalmerson and Duncan Keith were two of the best defensemen during the Blackhawks uh, dynasty era and two of the best defensemen in Blackhawks franchise history. Jonathan Taze was like one of my like hockey heroes growing up. Even Nick Jalmerson was. It was just really cool to see them all like united. I, I thought that those were going to be guys that were Hawks for life, especially Jalmerson, but really, really cool. That the yeah. Blackhawks are honoring all those guys, and it was good that the Blackhawks and gave them a good, uh, good game there. Uh, they came out four three in overtime over uh, Edmonton there, and the fans packed the house. Um, so that was really good. You had Lafferty, who I thought played really well. He had a goal. Uh, you had the DeBrinket, uh, Strom, and uh, Kane line. Or sorry, it was Kubelik, Strom, Kane. Uh, that game I thought they played decent, not great. Um, of course, you had the duel, too many men on the ice penalties, which we will circle back to in the game that comes up after the Edmonton game. So we're not going to talk too much on that here. And then the only other real takeaway I had from that was Doc kind of looks like he's starting to shoot the puck. Um, but otherwise, I thought the Edmonton game itself was good. Um, Kirby good Doc win for needs, the Hawks. Kirby Doc really needs to find his confidence, like consistently, because when he's on and when he's in I think it's game. coming, man. I think he's I think it really is too, lately. but he, it's gotta, it's gotta, he's gotta show it more, right? I just, I just really think that people are too hard on him. I was on Twitter earlier, you know, yapping it up uh, on the cue the dagger, and I was talking to uh, Tomahawk, uh, that other podcast, and they were talking, and they just don't want to give her, Tom, or God dang it. They don't want to give Kirby Doc the credit that he is defensively. And you saw him, and since we're on the Edmonton game, it's perfect. There's a great example where Connor McDavid was using his speed and his edge work, and we all know that he's the best in the world at that, and he was going back and down up the boards. And Kirby Doc stuck with him the whole way. I think that Doc's really just putting a focus on his defensive style game. It hurts him offensively. And when you're giving as much energy and effort in the defensive zone as a young age, he hasn't learned how to adapt offensively yet. And I think that it's just going to come with time. Like he's learned something that a lot of players don't ever learn. And that's how to be consistent in your own zone and how to play a defensive style of game. That is a shutdown style. It's just very rare. Um, and so I just think that time will come. And if he doesn't ever become a point per game player, I think that's okay. If we can get 50 to 65 points out of him and he can be a shutdown center and or winger, because we don't know how he's in the dot, that's fine. Like he doesn't have to score as long as he's, he can be a top six forward. He can score 45 points a year, 45 to 60 points a year and be one of the best like two way forwards in the division. That's that's like he he was that's what he was projected to be. He's projected to be like Jonathan Taze esque, right? He's not going to be this elite goal scoring, elite playmaking, elite, uh, uh, you know, elite puck mover. Although he's a, he's got pretty good ice vision, he's not supposed to be this high scoring center. He's supposed he he was his scouting report going into the draft was that he could use his body and his edge work to clear a lane and. He, he was a very 
you know, hardworking centerman and was a very good two-way forward. Like that, that's who he's supposed to be. And mm. I don't know. I he's he's taking form. I like it. I, I think he's fine. I think there's no reason to worry. I think that the defensive aspect is what it is. I think it's great. I think it's going to be great. I think he's going to be a shutdown guy. The question comes on offense, and hopefully he can get up to the 50 to 65 point range. Um, but we've seen flashes have, of it. No, you've we've definitely seen, seen flashes. He he's got skill, man. It's just like you said, he he needs that confidence to kick in. He had that swagger where he went on spitting chiclets, talked about Stevie Y, asking him about the weeds and all that stuff. He just needs that confidence and swagger to come back. And mm-hmm. I think it's coming back. Um, I mean, I think when you're on a team that loses a lot of games, it's hard to stay positive and have that kind of swagger. It's it's hard to I can imagine how hard it is to be a personality on a team that is not relevant. Not that the Blackhawks aren't relevant because they're one of the biggest TV markets and one of the biggest hockey markets in the country. But in terms of the playoff race, in terms of the league picture, the Blackhawks are kind of a non-factor. They're in the, they're in the lottery. They're in the lottery uh, draft lottery pick conversation. And they don't even have a first round pick unless it's a top three draft pick, which is unlikely because they're not one of the three worst teams in the league by a mile. Yeah, a good, good thing that this draft is supposedly as weak as it is because Columbus might be getting a pretty high pick from us. Um, but that'll jump into the Philly game, which, you know, Chicago, I thought, started pretty good. Um, they ended up losing 4-3. We'll get right into this quick talking point of the back-to-back games with two too many men on the ice penalties, which is just unacceptable. It's a joke, in my opinion. Can't happen at the NHL level. There's not much to say. Um, Derek King came out after the Tampa game and made a joke about how they finally didn't take two. Um, they know that it's bad. We know it's stupid. Um, it's not much to That's say just, about it. It costs them the game. Management. It's just, bench yeah, management. Bench management is of like a bare minimum to be an NHL coach, I'd, I'd believe, right? Like yeah, it, That one's frustrating, dude. If you can't manage the bench, if you can't get a line change, if you can't recognize when – and. Uh, it's like, an easy thing. How do you have four of them over a two-game span? Four of them should be a whole freaking season. That's a dang joke, dude. Like, that's just – yeah, I was heated when it happened. I'm getting heated now. It's just awful, dude. It's just, overall, everyone on the ice should have known. It's not just on Derek King. It's on everyone on that bench. It's simple communication. Is is there – is Derek King still the interim? Yeah, it's upon praying he's interim. Because I, I remember when – the team promoted Colleton. I, I just forget because not that I don't like Derek King. Oh, you're you're kind of right. It kind of ran the whole year and then they gave him the tag. But I'm just pray. I like Derek King. And like I heard, I think it was Romeliotis or Jay Zawoski talking on their pods and how he kind of has that demeanor to help young players develop and grow. Um, but really – I just think that they need a more offensive-minded coach in here. Like, I love defense and all, but, like, it doesn't matter when you can't score goals, and the league is just a fast league that's up, down, north, They've got to find a balance. They the have – it's so crazy because – Cycle. The, the yeah. team has to find a balance because they either – and this is – 
weird because this happens every season for the Blackhawks. They either score a bunch and are really good offensively and their defense is average at best. Actually, I shouldn't say that. Post Stanley Cup, uh, third Stanley Cup Blackhawk teams, in my eyes at least, fall under two categories. Teams with really strong defensive systems and teams that don't have any sort of defensive competency. And we've seen the latter a lot, I think, the last three or four seasons, which is is crazy because we have Patrick Cade, we have Jonathan Tays, uh, Alex DeBrinkett is a 40-goal scorer or a 30-goal scorer every year. We have Brandon Hagel now. Uh, you know, when Eric Gustafson had his 60-point season, uh, there's guys that can – there's a lot of guys that have the ability to score 30 points in a season even though they don't. We have the offensive pieces, but for whatever reason, it they either just – I don't know. It's weird to me. They, they just have to – the net if it's Derek King or whoever, the, the way that the team plays has to be balanced. They can't be bad at defense. They can't afford to be bad at defense while having – I don't know if they're – I don't think the Hawks are bad at defense, though. They're terrible I mean, at defense. I, if you go I, look I, at I, the numbers, dude, like they're, they're in the better half as far as goals against and stuff. I don't think it's that. I think it's just they – they have they make so they're so really many good at of defense. the same mistakes every game. Like we would be here's losing the thing. They close play a... games if they were mark like there are forwards that don't know how to manage players in the slot and you know mark guys in the defensive end and they get rebound opportunities out the ass. But what happens is, is they'll play a good and we, we saw like Tampa. We'll jump right into the Tampa game following this because I'm gonna use that as an example. Is the Hawks will play a good two and a half periods of hockey, and then they'll break down. And in the Tampa game that we just watched and they just lost, it was because they gave up three goals in 34 seconds. They played a hell of a game the whole way through. They played with Tampa the whole game, if not outplayed them the first period. And then they give up three goals in 34 seconds early in the third period. Like, right, I don't think it's with, ter- teams with good defensive defenses don't give up three goals in 34 seconds but see i i don't think i know it's tampa i know it's tampa but see i think it goes back to the the coaching i think it's lapses and i think a well-coached team doesn't have that 34 second lapse i think well uh, and that that's i that's the point i'm trying to make yeah this defense is not it's not an end okay it's partially an individual defenseman issue However, it is way more of a defensive systems issue than it is the former. Like, I don't know what it is. We have Calvin DeHaan. We had Duncan Keith, even though he was kind of bad in the latter years of his time in Chicago. Uh, we have very capable defensemen. But yet, it, it's more of a systems thing is what I'm trying to point out than an individual thing. But it all just comes out to we need a better defense you get what i'm saying uh, yeah i get what you're saying but just from my eyes i'm I'm not really concerned from the defensive aspect i'm more concerned from just lack of goal scoring i think that the leagues are more it's like i'm going to throw in the nfl it's a quarterback offensive league in the nfl and i think that's kind of what all sports are going for because offense and points and goal scoring brings in revenue revenue 
obviously good for the sport. So I think they want it to be a more offensive game. And I just get concerned when we struggle to score two to three goals a game. Like it, that's more concerning to me than having a few breakdowns where if you slot in a slightly better coach, those breakdowns don't happen. Um, obviously, there's struggles offensively, defensively from a prospect standpoint in this organization. So, I mean, they got to fix everything. So There's a lot um, of organization-wide issues that just need to be patched up. Like the on-ice product is one thing. There's a lot that Kyle Davidson has to manage and, and be aware of going forward because I think a big part of this Blackhawks rebuild isn't going to just be the on-ice product. It's going to be a mm-hmm. lot of rebranding, re-imaging, and restructuring mm-hmm. how, the, how the team runs. Definitely. I don't I don't know I don't know the inner workings of the organization. I don't that's just not information that I really have access You're to. You're definitely on the right track. But I, I um, have a strong feeling that I'm not too far off of how it, how it's going to work and how it should work. Since we already kind of brought up the Tampa game that just ended, uh we'll go ahead and just say they lost what was it, six to three final. Yeah. I think. Uh and the only real takeaway from that is Dylan Strom scored and had an assist and that puts 20 points in his last 22 games making it uh nine goals and 10 assists i believe um which that's pretty impressive and then all i wanted to say 22 yeah pretty impressive eh? shit (laughs) yeah yeah i didn't know that i saw it on twitter uh i think it was ben pope uh, if i'm incorrect i'm sorry whoever tweeted that out um, but yeah, it's impressive. Um, on the official hashtag signstrom, tweeting it out everywhere. He's I want def- him signed. He's definitely making it hard for Kyle Davidson to, to decide whether or not the team should trade him. And he always does this. This is so Dylan Strom. He either is really good or he's really mediocre and bad. How is he out? How is he out of the lineup, dude? When they were what? Uh, oh nine and two, oh nine and one, oh nine and one, oh nine and two, whatever the hell that record was. How is he out of the lineup? I he he's been playing frustrating. He's been playing pretty good hockey, and I don't know if he can be a complimentary piece in like you know a middle six role going forward for the team's future. I think you keep him around, right? If he's going to be like a forty point player uh, and he can flex in and out of the top top six and middle six. Look at it. Is if you trade him, you're going to get what a second if you're absolutely robbing a team at the moment based off his value, or you match him for what is it, 3.8, 3.9, 3.6. It's one of those numbers somewhere mm-hmm. in that range. Doesn't really matter. It's all relatively the same. I think you match that and you reevaluate this next offseason unless you can give him a good two or three year deal in the $3 million range. Otherwise, just qualify the dude. Bring him back and reevaluate next year because right now he's winning faceoffs. He's producing offensively. Patrick Kane likes him, and you may actually have a second line center in Dylan Strom. Uh, I I would hope so. But I'm going to circle back to the Tampa game real quick. My only takeaway from that game was it sucked. Um, I was frustrated to watch, and the only good moment of that whole game was Patrick Kane's absolute. Beautiful shot. Top laser. Patrick Kane. Good at hockey. To throw it back to back to the future. He hit that thing at 88 and went back in time when he shot that thing. It was unbelievable. I watched uh, not to sidetrack too much from Patrick Kane because I love Patrick Kane. I watched the 
When, when was the last time you watched the Back to the Future movies? Back to the Future, my dude? That's one of my favorite movies. We can sidetrack all day on Back I to the Future. I watched one and two last night. Uh, my guy. I didn't, I didn't, finish, I didn't finish the trilogy, but what's the next tattoo? I'm getting the get? DeLorean tattooed on my leg. Really? Absolutely. That's wicked. That's wicked. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, can't go wrong. It's, but, it's crazy how 88 is so relevant in my life. Oh, my gosh, yes. Patrick Kane, 88. Oh, my God, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, it's insane, dude. Absolutely uh, insane. But the, the movie, how, how do I make, how do I phrase this? How do I phrase it? I, it has been a while since I had watched it myself. Um that some of the plot points in the movies are very weird. Like only eighties movies would have that kind of plot. Which point. ones are you looking at? I'm, I'm talking like you... when when Marty like he can't be called chicken. Like that's such yeah. an eighties movie thing. I love it. It's so corny though. Like I, I remember well, hearing that. I'm like, oh my god, that's so corny. But I love it. Oh, well, you know? in the second movie, oh, in the first movie, a lot of people said that he didn't have like a plot point or whatever it's called. Uh, it, it, so in like the a second, char- like a character arc. Yeah, yeah, like character a, arc. That's like what I'm that. looking for. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And so in the second movie, that's the character arc that they gave him. It, it's so it's so eighties. <laughs> it's such that's an eighties movie. It's crazy that this thing. just came up. I have a replica of the hoverboard coming in, signed by Christopher Lloyd. No shot. No free ads, but yeah, I just ripped it off proceed auction for under one fifty. So that's sick. Like. That, yeah. Is there papers to say like this was actually oh, yeah, absolutely. signed? It comes with, comes with all that. I trust Pristine Auction. I've gotten a whole bunch of stuff off of them. I, I, I'm not familiar with the site, but that's sick. Yeah. That's really but cool. anyway, we'll, we'll digress back yes. into the hockey talk. Sorry, everyone who doesn't love Back to the Future. I love Back to the Future. I don't know how you could so. hate Back to the Future. So you guys can get over it that we just uh, had a little sidetrack conversation, and we'll jump into an absolute another fun conversation. So. You kind of brought it up earlier. I heard you kind of bring up the 2010 team and when you were talking about the Johnson legacy night. And I was just curious. I threw out an article, and it was just, who do you want to be retired? I have two questions. All right. Who do you want to be retired, and who do you think gets their number retired from that era? I think the only two guys that have their uh, – there's three guys that get their numbers retired. Duncan Keith, Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taze. Corey Crawford, as much as he was fantastic for us, and I don't think we would have won that second or third cup without him in net. Uh, he was he was consistently great. He was not ever amazing. So I don't think Corey Crawford's going to be. I want Jalmerson's number to be retired. I think, yeah, Jalmerson's number to be retired. I want... Uh, Hosa's number to be retired, and but I don't think those two guys will. I I think legitimately it's going to be Kane, Taze, and Duncan Keith of the guys from the teams. Maybe, maybe uh, Brent Seabrook, but that's a stretch. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna humbly plug myself here. Sorry. Uh, I just did an article on this with the uh, inside the rink. Go ahead and check it out. It's what numbers should the Blackhawks retire from the dynasty teams. And I think that four numbers are locks to go in the rafters. I think there are 
the three that you said, right, 88, 19, and two, I think those are easy locks. And then I heard you go over. So if you had to guess the number from my head that I think is a lock, who would it be? I think you're going to say Crow. I think Crawford, in my opinion, should be a lock based off the numbers. I'm going to jump into him in two seconds, but I think Brent Seabrook is kind of a lock. Uh, I think that if you go look at just how he was considered and how highly touted he was and the leadership and calming Taze down and the penalty box and just everything, I just I think Brent Seabrook's kind of in that class. I know that he's got such a bad stigma on him because he signed a contract, and he did fall off, and he fell off really fast. He was never – I don't ah. – he was on Team Canada and all this. Like, I think people can just be on the Olympic teams and not be a great player. Like, you could be on an Olympic team and not be considered a retired number guy. In, in my opinion, Seabrook was almost as good defensively as John Emerson, who was, in my opinion, the best defensive defenseman to ever Ooh, play. That's a I think almost, and it's, I'm, I'm stretching a little bit for my argument purposes here. I'm not going to no, lie. No, I, I mean, give me my stretch. Dying, hey, I respect that you're dying on let the hill that, you're, that you're choosing yeah, to die let on. Me, but let like, me die on my seat hill. Like Chicago kind of shit on this guy for a little bit here. And I just want to give him the love that he deserves. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve the love. He was one of the core guys on the teams, but I, he, I don't know. From, a, from an actual play perspective, he was not the most – he wasn't he he had a lot of things that overshadowed his actual play. I was su- surprised actually how much kind of like negative feedback I got on the Seeb's number being retired. I figured like most of Chicago He's a fan favorite like he's I a felt, fan but... favorite but there's a lot of fans that love him that that also recognize that he was not great. He was not amazing. Like he was never worth that 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 uh 6.7 million dollars we were paying him. I, see, I, think I think he was. I think everyone's so caught up on that second contract that they forget everything that he did prior. I to I I don't disagree, but the it. I, I only use the number because he was never he never played during the regular season, like a six point seven million dollar defenseman, and only turned it up to the le- to the elite level that everyone refers to him as in the playoffs. He was an above average defenseman. Above, I mean it matters the most then, but if it really mattered the like I don't know. It you I have, I have a bigger hill I want to die in anyway. And I think we're going to agree on this based off your comments. I want to die in the Corey Crawford's number 50 should be uh in the rafters. Can I, I can I climb my hill for this for one? It. You want to join me? Let's both do it. Well, all I'm saying is he has a better save percentage than Esposito and Hall. He has a better goals against than Esposito and Hall. And he's the most all-time winning leader. So, numbers-wise, Corey Crawford's kind of statistically the best goalie of all time. Now, he doesn't have the most wins. That's not what I'm saying. But save percentage-wise, up there. Goals against, up there. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm not. I... Yeah. He's only I 16 think... wins behind Hall, except he's played 130 fewer games. Corey Crawford was one of the most consistent goaltenders in the NHL when he played. Like, he would consistently 
good, bad, or different season. He would put up anywhere between underrated. like a nine ten and a nine twenty. He would be in like that two three to two six goals against range. He was athletic. He had personality. He what do you think his career save percentage was? Career. I think it was like nine fourteen, right? It's nine eighteen. That's impressive, dude. And he he stuck. He like stuck with that number. Like that 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 number isn't inflated because he had like three seasons with like incredible statistics. He was consistently great. Dude, on the team that landed up getting the Hawks, Kirby Doc. That's how bad they were. They got Kirby Doc third overall. He had a nine two nine save percentage and a two point two seven goals against. Like this stupid argument of his teams were loaded can go jump off a bridge. Like, it's just unbelievable. Guys underrated. Guys fifty should be in the rafters. He did just as much as Esposito, rest in peace, and Paul. He's got the rings. He's got the numbers. He was unbelievable. I think in the I big think games. the Stanley Cup pedigree is going to help his case. I hope it does. Because, like, for me, I think the four locks, if I had my choice and I got to pick, it would be 2, 7, 19, 88, 50, 81, 4, and 10 would get up in the rafters. And my heart, they're all retired. But in real life, I do think you kind of have to keep the club smaller to keep the pedigree and the prestigiousness up. And I think you can really only go with 88, 19, 2, and 7. In my opinion, I would love to see 50. Always a fun debate. Always. It'll be interesting, though, because that's closer than you'd think. It's a lot closer than you'd think, my man. Time's, time's flying. Speaking of time flying, you got the trade deadline, and we'll go ahead and discuss who do you think's moved and who do you think's not moved. Um, as far as Flurry, we'll just go ahead and touch on this as nobody knows. There's a report saying he's going to be traded. There's a report saying he's not going to be traded. There's a report by Ben Pope saying that the guy reporting that report isn't trustworthy. So as far as Mark Andre Flurry, we'll just kind of avoid that and wait and see. If he wants to be moved, he'll be moved, and if not, he'll not. Um, otherwise, we can go ahead and jump into anyone else not named Mark Andre Fleury. Uh, I uh, I don't have a strong hunch on who I think will be moved, just because I see so many pros and cons, and I I see very realistic like trade scenarios happening and not happening. So I, but it pains me to say it. I think they are going to move on from Brandon Hagel, ah, which sucks. Tough. You better, you better uh, get a high on, in a first. And I think we're going to move on from one of our defenseman prospects. I think it could be, it could be Ian Mitchell. It could be Nick Bodan. Better not I be think Ian Alec Regu- I think Alec, I, not Alec Regula. I think Wyatt Kalanick is safe. Um, far as- I think one of Ian Mitchell or Nick Bodan are going to be traded. I, I think Brandon Hagel and maybe, maybe, maybe we might try and get some value from, I don't know, a guy like Colin Delia. Some, some like I definitely some guy that. that's been sitting around that we kind of just want to get off and move on from. especially with you the know? i know i just said i wasn't going to bring up mark andre Fleury, but especially with the 
Some are reports that there's potential if Murray comes back. If that's true, Colin Delia should be moved. He deserves a chance on a real roster. Um, yeah. I could definitely see that. As far as Brandon Hagel goes, I have no clue what they're going to do. Um, uh, I'll I would... say this, and I wrote. A, I also wrote an article about the Blackhawks uh, trade deadline possibilities ahead, for last word on hockey. Uh, but the the team does not have a first round pick. They effectively don't have a first round pick. Unless by some lottery miracle, we end up in the top three. We do not have a first round pick. They need to acquire a first round pick first and foremost. And if that means they have to give up on Brandon Hagel because he is worth a first round pick bare minimum, then that's what that means. It sucks because historically when the Blackhawks trade budding young NHL forwards that have the type of production that Brandon Hagel currently has, ahem, Tevo Teravainen, it bites them in the butt. The only reason the Tevo Teravainen trade is brought up because that was a horrible return. We did not get value for Tevo. You may. Just congrats to Tevo on 500 grains. Uh, I loved Teravainen when he was here. That's all I have. He's one of my favorite. He's literally one of my favorite players in the league. He was my favorite black. You brought him up. I didn't want to forget the congrats. So I love Turbo. Turbo's my Turbo's my like favorite, favorite winger. Um, I still have a shirt. Still hangs up in the closet. I can't put it away. I was going to get one of his jerseys. I'm a part time (sighs) Hurricanes fan because of him. Like I jumped ship and very heavily invested myself in the Kane system. But just getting sad now. Just makes me sad. (laughs) Bowman, I hate you. Reminiscing, but you look at the Tavo Teravina trade. We did not get equal value for him. We ha- if we're if the team is going to trade Brandon Hagel, they have to get his fair value. They have to get a first rounder, maybe another pick, and one think- of NHL ready prospects that are like elite or a roster forward. That is the same production as or, or a similar value as Brandon Hagel. That is the only s- fair return. I'm going to circle back to Hagel. I think DeHaan gets moved. I think um, a guy like Ryan Carpenter and a Henrik Bordstrom gets moved. There is the potential of a Dominic Kubelik, but I'm not sure if he gets done. There's just not a lot of buzz around him right now. Um But to circle to Brandon Hagel, I think that the only way Brandon Hagel makes sense is if you get a first and that prospect that's being rumored to come with him because of his contract, you can move him next year and the draft's stronger next year. So I don't think there's a rush to move Hagel. I don't think you need to move Hagel. And I really hope that unless it's the Rangers and we're getting the Russian, I can't think of his name right now. Um, Kratzoff or it's I can't think Kratzoff of Kratzoff from New York. I think yeah. that that's unless we're getting that guy. I don't want the it, first dude. Hagel, we can trade him next year for the first on a better draft. You know what I mean? Like, let's get it on the better draft. Like, we're going to get next year's first. I'm in. Maybe you're right, but I think there is value in having. I'm not against it. I'm not saying no. I first of all, let's be clear. I love Brandon Hagel. I love love Brandon Hagel. From the from my from the fan fan perspective, I don't want I don't want to trade him. 
Like no, I, I think it's I think but from value, the perspective, it's it's foolish to trade him. But the value side, the yes, say, the actual working like how a hockey team should operate side, I so very much see the need to trade him. Are you kidding me? Like that is yeah. If you're getting you're first rebuilding, to high end prospect, yeah. When you're rebuilding the way that the Blackhawks are rebuilding, that kind of player, unless you have multiple, should not sit if you're going to get equal value for him. Yeah, the, the way I look at it is unless this year, unless you're getting a 15 to 20 pick, which I just don't see those teams trading for Brandon Hagel, they could. If you're getting that 20 to 32 range, I just don't think it's really worth it to trade him because next year I think his value will be just the same, and I think it's a stronger draft. That's just my opinion. Now, if the Rangers call you up and offer you – the high-end prospect in a first, you obviously take that from the Rangers. Now, uh, I don't even want to say it, but we have all seen the disgusting, I'm not even going to call it a report or anything like that, the little stupid video that's gone around Twitter about Patrick Kane potentially going to Colorado. And the first thing I'm going to do is tell Joe Sackett to go ahead and shove it up his little... But we're going to go ahead and digress, and we're going to look at this from an open-eye standpoint. And what is your thoughts on a Patrick Kane to Colorado trade? It's not happening, guys. Stop freaking out. There's no reason to flip out. Calm down. Put your pitchforks down. Unlight My pitchforks up. Oh, I'm it, ready to go. Put it down. It's not happening. I'm lighting it on fire. Why? I'm going to burn down the city of Denver if Patrick Kane goes there. That would be Patrick Kane getting traded from the Chicago Blackhawks will be equal magnitude to Wayne Gretzky getting traded to LA. Are you that, that, and because of that, it's not happening on top of that. It's Patrick Kane and it's the Chicago Blackhawks. If there is a veteran player on this team, that is very likely going to stick around into the rebuild if he is planning and actively wants to stay in Chicago until he retires. It is Patrick Kane. Jonathan Tays, I love you. You're one of the best Blackhawks of all time. You're in the NHL top 100. There is more opportunity to find a top-line center with your ability than there is to replace Patrick Kane. I see him going a lot easier than I do Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane is not moving from the Blackhawks unless he wants out. And I don't think he wants out. You see how frustrated he gets with where the team is. And granted, so does Kane. So does all the players that have been there for more than one or two seasons. They have that same frustration. But you see how frustrated Kane gets. He cares about the team. He wants to be a part of the team. He is going to stay as long as he wants to stay. He will not be moved. Okay, so before I make my next statement, I want to make two things clear. One, I'm the biggest Patrick Kane fan on this planet. You won't find a bigger Patrick Kane fan. I want Patrick Kane to retire as a Blackhawk. I don't want him to go anywhere else. I could care less if it helps, or I couldn't care less for all you people that are going to correct me on that. If he goes plays anywhere else, I don't care if it helps a rebuild. I don't. I want him to retire a Blackhawk. I would rather the Blackhawks be bad for an extra 10 years and just let Patrick Kane finish his career in Chicago. That's how much I love Patrick Kane. 
But when you take your emotions out of it and you hear the potential of a first-round pick and a Bowen Byron, if Bowen Byron stays healthy and his head injuries go away and he comes back and he lives up to what he could be, that's a game-changer for a rebuild. That changes everything for this rebuild. You now have two elite defensemen, and all you got to do is figure out your forward core that you already have Alex Dubrinkit, you already have Kirby Doc, and now you're talking you have a first-round pick, and this rebuild could take two or three years versus four or five years. What's your thoughts on that? Again, I want to be clear. Patrick Kane, in my opinion, should never leave Chicago and should retire at Blackhawk. But if you take your emotions out of it, what's your thoughts on a potential Byram first-round pick return for Patrick Kane and salary retained? There is a price for everything. And if you are willing to give up the right pieces to buy the player, you will get them. But this is Patrick Kane. This is the best player in American history we're talking about. This is someone that is going to be considered the best player in Blackhawks history. This isn't... The Edmonton Oilers were not the same without Wayne Gretzky. The Blackhawks will not be the same without Patrick Kane. That, that, That is the comparison I will make. I am not comparing Patrick Kane to Wayne Gretzky because Wayne Gretzky is Wayne Gretzky. But that is the value Patrick Kane has to the Blackhawks in my eyes. I see no circumstance, no no possibility of him being traded away. None. Zero. Not even in his contract year. Not even when he's 45 not producing at the level that he currently is, but still wants to be on the team. That's all I'll say. Well, I couldn't agree more. And now that I have done my due diligence and I have allowed emotions to walk away from me, I'm going to take my emotions back. And I'm going to tell you, Joe Sackick, if you even think about calling Kyle Davidson up and asking about Patrick Kane, I will personally drive to your house and tell you, (laughs) It's a no. You can go ahead and you we'll can be the make diplomatic a convoy for uh, hey, Kyle Davidson's front office. We're going to throw it back to Back to the Future again. And he can make like a tree and get out of here, like Biff Daniel would tell him. Okay. Let's make Patrick like a tree Kane and ain't leave. leaving. Patrick Kane ain't leaving. Just it, ain't happening. It doesn't make sense. Like, they're, uh, if you said Jonathan Taze, I would have been like, maybe that makes sense. If you said. Alex to brink it, I would have said you're you're crazy, but it makes sense. It's Patrick Kane, guys. This isn't like it, stop playing games with us. Like this isn't some other star player on a team. This isn't Tyler Sagan. This isn't. It's Patrick Kane. Sorry, don't want to didn't want to throw nah. it out there, but his name's Showtime, and he brings in the tickets. He ain't going anyway. Puts money on the table. That's that's all I had to say. I had to get off that. Joe Sackett can go. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna digress. Um, you have anything else you want to talk about, Logan? That's about it for me. Another no, another no. week of hockey coming up. So there's always that. 
No other sidetracks, no uh, Back to the Future talk, Batman talk, no nothing. We can I haven't seen off. Batman. I need to see it's it soon before someone spoils uh, it. I'll be going this week. It's definitely on the list. Um, but yeah, I guess that'll be it then, my man. Um, again, uh, we're doing a giveaway at 100 followers. All you got to do to enter the giveaway is follow the podcast at Q the Dagger Pod. And again, that is at C U E. T-H-E-D-A-G-G-E-R-P-O-D for all those people out there that can't spell like me. I'll help you out right there. Um, I guess that'll do it for this episode of Cue the Dagger. Thank you all for listening.